a new champion, dreams of boxing, handicap matches, and taking on a hot up-and-comer by the name of Frank Gotch. It's the story of Tom Jenkins, part three. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves, pro wrestling history nerds. It's me, I'm here, it's you, yes you, you're there, I'm where, over there, where are you? Are there dogs? Are they good dogs? Trick question, all dogs are good dogs. Who am I? What am I talking about? What does this have to do with anything? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling promoter, a pro wrestling booker, but more importantly for today, I am a pro wrestling history nerd. And today we are going to continue the story of Tom Jenkins. Tom Jenkins has been a fascinating person in my research, in my view of wrestling history. He's one of those great kind of missing stars for a lot of the people who've got a cursory education on pro wrestling because in this era people always think of Frank Gotch and Jörg Hackenschmidt. They don't always know the name Tom Jenkins who up until that point was a bigger star in the United States than both of them but the man himself is fascinating. His career is fascinating and I'm loving my opportunity to discuss it because I, as you have noticed over the last several months, I'm kind of going back and revisiting the pioneer era because when I first started this show, I didn't have the, the research material available that I do now. I was reading a couple of books on men like William Muldoon, Frank Gotch, Evan Lewis, and more or less taking these researchers and authors' work and opinions at face value. No longer doing that, error of my ways, all that. I learned my lesson um, to make sure I go to the source material, that I get, I do a little bit more deep digging, and I do have the benefit of researching and writing and doing this in the internet era because I don't have to go to the libraries and hope I find enough information to make a complete picture through scouring microfiche and old newspapers. I get to go to newspapers.com, the New York Times archives. I have a much easier job than a lot of these previous historians did, so I do acknowledge my privilege. And I like going back to this era, that stopgap period between Evan Lewis and Farmer Burns, and the Gotch Hackenschmidt era. Wrestling at, is cyclical, and at every turn it's either rising or falling. And when it's kind of on its collapse, everybody always says, oh, wrestling is done for. The Attitude Era has collapsed. The Monday Night Wars are over. It goes into you know, a slump, if you will. But even in those slumps, you find fascinating people who are huge stars that were pop culture crossover icons, men like Tom Jenkins. And before we get too deep into the story, I do want to give my usual disclaimer that I am doing the best I can with the material that I'm finding. So if you hear a story and go, hey idiot, what about this important match? Or hey dum-dum, I heard that this was because of that and that's the reason for this. And you know what? You may be right. The source you found may be correct. I'm working with what I'm finding. I'm putting together the best story 
that I can, the most truthful story, the most practical story that I can, I can patch together from what I'm finding. That's the joys of history because we are going back and going through these sports pages from the early 1900s in this case. So I'm scouring through the sports pages where people often were not even sports reporters going to wrestling shows to cover them. Sometimes they would not know who was working. They would misspell the names, have the names completely wrong. Sometimes they left before the match was over because they had to get on a train and get back to their city and turn in their articles. So sometimes you could read three papers, have three spellings of the names, with sometimes multiple outcomes with different people winning depending on who told the story. Reporting, not an exact science back in those days before the internet, because thankfully you can't lie on the internet, so there's no such thing as bad information or disinformation. Oh yes, 2023 is a nightmare. Also wanted to thank people who sent in donations for research, these books, these archive accesses, they're not free, so I would be doing this for free no matter what, but it is appreciated for, let's see here, uh, Lydia, Mike, and Carl, who sent in a few bucks, you know what, that pays for the monthly archive dives, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And now back into the story of Tom Jenkins, where we last left off two weeks ago, he was the champion. He defeated Dan McLeod in a hotly contested match. He was the champion of Catches Catch Can Wrestling in the United States. He was the king of the mountain. He was the top guy. But where do things go from here? But here's something silly to start it off. November 26, 1901, Chicago Tribune, football team of wrestlers. I found this while searching Tom Jenkins' name, and this was just too weird not to share. Wrestler slash policeman John Rooney suggested a weird stunt for the 1904 Olympics, which would be held in St. Louis. He proposed a football team made up exclusively of wrestlers to take on the college all-stars of the day. A weird mismatch of skill and strength, though I like to think of it as like some cartoonish comedy where the wrestlers would be allowed to do wrestling moves mid-football game. Instead of a tackle, you'd get a hurricanrana. I doubt they were doing those at that point, but it's just a delightful image in my head that I had to share. But in December, the papers were full of the announcement that Jenkins wanted to fight boxing champion James J. Jeffries in a boxing match. I did see plenty of overlap with Jenkins in boxing, who was training with world-class fighters on the regular. Again, remember that he only had one eye, which is insane for a boxing match. So we have a wrestling champ who just became the wrestling champ and he's already calling out boxers saying, I'm not only a great wrestler, I'm so good I will box you and win despite my one eye. This is something you'll see again and again. You probably remember this from Ed Lewis calling out Dempsey during our series about the 1920s because at various times, boxing was a much bigger sport than wrestling. There was occasional flip-flops, but boxing tended to have more prestige, a little bit more of that air of like the gentleman fighter, it just had a different atmosphere and a lot more money behind it when you were on the top. So calling out the boxers, whether it was them working together, trying to make something fun happen like Ed Lewis and Jack Dempsey, 
or just being a dick and calling them out just brings a lot more attention to you, and that attention hopefully translates to tickets, tickets translate to more money in your pocket. So disingenuous or genuous, it is a smart marketing move. In early January 1902, it was reported that Jenkins parted way with his manager, George Toohey. Toohey had been a very successful manager and press mouthpiece, getting Jenkins' top matches. Rumor is that Toohey was robbing Jenkins blind, or more blind, at least blind on the business side of things. And this is one of those constant risks in show business, in sports, in life, when you have a lot of money, people are going to try to part you from that money. So if you are not a sophisticated financial person, you know, look at how many times people win the lottery and within three years they're broke because they were fleeced out of their money with bad investments by family members, by people they trust. How many football players end up working in car dealerships because they didn't know how to manage the millions of dollars that they made in their early 20s. So yeah, it is very wise that he at least saw the problem and fixed the problem, got away from the manager who was tucking way too much money into his own pocket. Um, ask Mike Tyson about Don King. I'm sure you'll get to the same type of story. May 15th, 1902. Par was easy, claims the Buffalo commercial. In Cleveland, of course. Tom Jenkins threw Jim Parr twice in an hour, as was the terms of the handicap match, 31 minutes and 19 minutes respectively. So we do see him going back immediately to those handicap matches. For If this is your first episode for some reason, a handicap match is when the challenge is you get X amount of money if you can last 15 minutes with the champion or the wrestler, if you can last an hour and not get thrown three times. It sets a stipulation where you can build up challengers very well. Um, we talked about this a lot in previous episodes, particularly the gotch episodes, that if you say, hey, I'm going to wrestle this guy, and I have to throw him four times in an hour. Well, that sets up a handicap match where if you fail, you don't necessarily lose. You know, it's like, oh, I only threw him three times in an hour. I didn't throw him four times. He is indeed a worthy opponent. And a lot of times those are worked matches because it sets up the possibility of a to-a-finish match. It's like, oh, this guy is so good that he lasted an hour with me and I didn't throw him as many times as I thought I could. He deserves a to-a-finish match. So next weekend, if you come back and buy another ticket, you can then gamble on, this, on the outcome. And it was a great way to sell more tickets. It was a great way to uh, skew the betting in the favor of whomever the booker wanted the betting to go to. So it was very popular and a great way to do business in the pre-Black Sox scandal era where sports betting became a very delicate subject in the United States. But since par was easy, as the headline proclaimed, I wonder if this one was a shoot since he threw him both times. He completed his objective of twice in an hour. Might have been a shoot, showing Jenkins to be the badass that he is. Or maybe par was just there to put over the champ and make him look good for future business down the road. May 19th versus O.B. Schoenfield, said the May 18th New Orleans Times Democrat. 
referred to Schoenfield as, quote, the local favorite, and that the match would be a, quote, catch-as-catch-can wrestling bout for keeps. Admission, 50 cents, $1, or $1.50 for the good seats. The match had been attempted earlier in the year, but fell through. The January 12, 1902 Democrat and Chronicle had a definite opinion. Jenkins backs out. Bout was called off. Paper claimed, quote, It is plainly apparent that Jenkins is afraid to tackle Schoenfield on the three falls in an hour proposition. Tough words from the paper. Tough words. The day after the match, the Times Democrat spent three columns on the match. Champion Jenkins fails to fulfill conditions. Unable to make three falls in an hour. Jenkins had 40 pounds on Schoenfield, but when someone is skilled in playing defense for an hour, it's hard to make it work in a shoot, if this was indeed a shoot. It was, again, you can build up a local favorite and still have the champion intact. You could say, oh, he cannot throw him three times in an hour. Boo, what a, what, what, a, what a victory, what a moral victory for the local man. So you keep the local strong, and then, of course, you set it up for a finish match, because clearly the locals were on fire, so why not do it again? Times Democrat, May 22nd, 1902. Schoenfeld and Jenkins will meet again on the mat. This time, Jenkins has thrown his opponent three times in 90 minutes, but Schoenfeld can try by pinning Jenkins once. The match went down on the 25th. The following morning, the Times Democrat proudly printed, Again victorious! Local athlete wins decision over Jenkins. Champion fails to throw Schoenfield thrice in 90 minutes. The paper again gushes over the local boy drawing a thousand fans to watch him win by only losing twice. These two matches feel like they could have been easily staged to exploit the local fans for betting. Again, it's like you stack the betting, you draw the tickets, you make a lot of money by making the local top guy look strong, and the champion doesn't have to lose. He lost because he only won twice, and it leaves lots of room for matches down the road. If you remember, again, our story about the Goldust Trio wrestling of the 20s, they hit a brick wall because Ed Lewis had killed everyone flat. He had beaten all the top guys, all the regional top guys, he had beaten everybody so severely that he was starting to have trouble moving tickets because what was the challenge? Who were the contenders? What was the capacity to put on interesting and challenging matches? You leave people looking very strong so you can draw money down the road. That's Pro Wrestling 101. June 10th, 1902, handicap match against Dan McLeod in Cleveland, of course, at the Central Armory. Very confident or very crooked to have a handicap match against the guy you took the title off of. The Dayton Daily News, Tom Jenkins lost, claiming an audience of 3,000 people watched Jenkins only throw McLeod once in the 90-minute time limit, taking 53 minutes to get it. After the rest period, Jenkins appeared tired and couldn't do anything against the aggressive McLeod. The info on the betting makes me assume it could be a hippodrome. So Dan McLeod was a smart businessman. He knew from his days working with Parson Davies and Evan the Scrangler Lewis how to draw money, how to draw heat, how to draw betting interest. So the concept of 
very within a year of winning the title off of McLeod, him and McLeod would not have a to-a-finish match. They have a handicapped gimmick match, which is a goofy-as-hell way to do things, but it does make Jenkins look like this freaking hero. He looks like the sort of guy who will take any challenge, no matter how ludicrous, and ludicrous it would be if it were real, that instead of, I will not only beat the man I barely beat for the title once, I will beat him multiple times in a handicap match, and, you know, through beating him the first time, the confidence of just accepting the challenge, I feel a lot of money, especially in his hometown, was bet on Jenkins accomplishing the mission, so I feel the whole thing was very well orchestrated to draw tickets and to get money from the betting public. Which led to July 4th, 1902 versus Dan McLeod in, you guessed it, Cleveland. The Scranton Tribune reported Dan McLeod thrown. Jenkins defeats him in Cleveland in straight falls. So two out of three, catches catch can rules. And Jenkins won both falls with half Nelson turns in 22 minutes and 15 minutes. The Akron Beacon Journal claims, quote, Tom Jenkins has once more demonstrated his superiority in the heavyweight division in the catch-as-catch-can style of wrestling. So the eternal question, work or a shoot? Um, I'm assuming work, but I would love to know the financial conditions for Dan McLeod to put down two straight. Because usually when that happens, it's usually a shoot or against somebody who nobody gives a shit about. Maybe it was about beating the betting spread, if there was such a thing, where the bets were more aligned to Jenkins winning two out of three, but it going the full three. So who knows why they did it that way. It does make McLeod look a little bit weak. Maybe it was something where they wanted to make him look weak for setting up a future business where he would look strong. It is a very complicated matrix back in these days because you're not just booking angles to keep viewers for television. You're not trying to sell out the arenas for Monday Night Raw or AW Dynamite. You are trying to make a lot of money off of the betting culture, off of the sports betting. So you had to think 10 steps down the road in a different fashion because you're trying to sell 5,000 tickets and also trying to get 4,000 of those people to put money down on the outcome. And when you're doing that and you have to do long-term booking to make the most amount of money off of a person, you have to think in different terms. You have to be like, this top guy's gonna lose easily, so if he wins big next time, we can bet heavily against him. It's a lot of math, a lot of carny swindling, a lot of dishonesty, and it just makes my heart sing because, gosh darn it, I would have ran away and joined the carnival as a child if that option had been open to me. August 13th versus Ed Atherton at the Batavia New York Opera House. Must throw him three times in an hour, according to the Buffalo Courier on the 11th. It will take place at 5 p.m. after the Fireman's Parade. You know, you really, you can't compete with the Fireman's Parade. Buffalo Inquirer. Jenkins won easily. The large crowd in town for the Fireman's Convention came out to watch Jenkins throw Atherton three times in one hour, or more specifically, 41 minutes total. Quote, Ed Atherton did not have the ghost of a chance. So this is where you see Jenkins looking strong because they're following a 
fireman's parade. It's going to have a big draw no matter what. It's going to be a situation where the money is going to be there. It's more about entertaining a crowd. I'm sure there was still a lot of betting going on, but there's no real need to like make it a destination match. It's like when wrestling is part of a festival. My show is part of festivals all the time where we're there, we're there to goof off and have a good time because the crowd is there. The crowd's already partying. The crowd just wants to have some fun. So you don't have to pull out all the stops this time around. November 25th, 1902, versus Joe Carroll. Joe Carroll, a.k.a. Ole Marsh, a.k.a. J.C. Marsh. You might remember him as part of Gotch's Klondike scam, who went on to manage Gotch for a while. You also may remember him for being arrested as part of the Maybray gang for fixing sports, and later on managing Marin Plastina while taking shots at the Curly Sandow Trust. Per the Washington, D.C. Evening Star, Carroll no match for Big Tom Jenkins. With a 20-pound weight advantage, Jenkins beat Carroll in two straight falls. And again, especially at this point in his career, Carroll was obviously somebody who would do business. This is a man who was part of one of my favorite scams in wrestling history, which was the Gotch Klondike scam. He's someone who, especially at this juncture of his career, was clearly happy to lay down, put somebody over for the sake of business, for the sake of finances, for the sake of money in his pocket, and promises for later. Again, that's how the business worked. December 22nd, 1902, Buffalo Express. Jenkins vs. Jim Parr of England. Jenkins won, but the whole article, and seemingly the whole town, was fawning over Parr's grappling prowess. But, as the article stated, quote, it does not matter what the sport is. The side that is deficient in bulk has a rough journey directly ahead. A good little man cannot beat a fair big man. And something we discussed again and again in legitimate sports. This is why most combat sports have weight classes. That's why it was so impressive in the early UFCs to see somebody like Hoist Gracie defeat much bigger men like Dan Severn. So... You have weight classes because size and decent skill will beat lack of size and amazing skill. Like, you have to be so far ahead of them on a technical level that you can outlast them, outwork them, and beat them. And in MMA or open submission wrestling, that's sometimes very possible. But in a sport like wrestling, where you're trying to put their shoulders on the mat, where your objective is to put them on their back and hold them down, yeah, size and strength becomes a lot more important, a much <laughs> bigger part of how you win. The article also claimed that, quote, a great surging mob crushed to get in single file through a space about a yard wide. One by one, they were poked through the entrance with a policeman's baton, the slowest, cheapest, most discouraging arrangement imaginable. A great number that nature missed when she passed around iron constitutions did not cherish this prospect of the terrible ordeal, which was there for one in the jam before the two-cent entrance. So, yeah, I, I, if you have the picture in your mind of prisoners in jail being marched along by the guards, that's what's in my head, too. People who paid for good seats sold theirs cheap rather than try to get into the oversold building. 
as we say in the wrestling world. No refunds, bitches. Friday, December 26, 1902. Dan McLeod won the Catches Catch Can American Championship off of Tom Jenkins in front of 1,100 fans at Mechanics Hall in Worcester, Massachusetts. Jenkins was reportedly sick, per the New York Times, from blood poisoning caused by a brass buckle cutting his leg. It was apparently a buckle on a knee brace from an injury, you know, cut his leg, it got infected. This is before antibiotics existed. So I assume they were just pouring turpentine on it and hoping for the best, or at least that's what they were doing in the story they told during this match. Jenkins won the first fall in 39 minutes. McLeod got the second in 24 minutes. Then 20 minutes into the third fall, Jenkins' manager wouldn't let his wrestler further risk his health and stopped the match via forfeit. According to the Birmingham News, Jenkins couldn't continue because the buckle of the brace he wore on his injured leg was being pulled and, quote, entering the flesh. Yes, I know that sounds awfully sexy, but let's try to be mature here. The Muncie Star Press described the brace as a leather bandage with a steel strip down the front shin and fastening with brass buckles. Two of these were broken in the early part of the match, and the brass points dug into his flesh until the pain was unbearable. Brilliant. You put a guy with an injury, he's already going to be sympathetic to the crowd. He is natural babyface based on the fact he is wrestling a championship match against a worthy foe, wall injured, wall wearing this brace. And they go one and one, but then the brace is ripping into his leg and he's in agony and he wants to continue the match, but his manager won't let him, trying to protect his client against his own bravery. So Dan McLeod reclaims the championship. Again, makes sense after that handicap match when McLeod lost two in a row, put over Jenkins strong. So you go into this one, everybody's betting heavy on Jenkins. And then they pull this injury stoppage thing, which makes Jenkins look even braver, even stronger, even more full of fighter spirit than he had before. Everybody cleans up on the betting. Dan McLeod is now the champion, so he can heat up his draw a little bit. Tom Jenkins now has something to prove. He is completely intact as a worthy adversary, as a title contender. People are probably thinking he shouldn't have been allowed to lose the title at all. So everybody is intact. Everybody looks strong. You shake things up with the title picture and probably made a shitload of money on the betting side. January 30th, 1903. The New York Times reports that Tom Jenkins and John Pining are to meet at Madison Square Garden the following night in the mixed two out of three rules. The reason this article stuck with me is the undercard including Whistler the Strongman. I want to know if this was a fake Clarence Whistler, who had been dead for a while at this point, but you see this a lot. With young Hackenschmidt, young Gotch, you had fake Hackenschmidt, you had Fakes of every kind, that is something that goes up to this day, because how many shows have you been to with a fake doink on it? Hopefully at least one, because it's a magical experience. The match, according to the same paper on February 1st, ended in a draw after 2 hours and 10 minutes, when the police stopped the match at the midnight curfew to keep the match from spilling over into Sunday morning, which was against the law at the time. You still had all those 
Sunday religious laws of no alcohol, no entertainment, and apparently no sports, no wrestling. So you had a big building, a big draw, a big match, and you kept both guys looking strong with nobody winning and nobody losing. February 3rd, 1903. The Baltimore Sun reports that Jenkins was matched with an unknown for $500 a side. Quote, the match is the result of a challenge issued by Professor Atlas of Bridgeport, who informed Jenkins' manager that he had an unknown wrestler whom he would match against Jenkins for a side wager of $500. Jenkins' new manager, Harry Pollock, agreed to the offer. Quote, With match clinched for Jenkins inquired who the man was, and he was informed that his opponent would be a Frank A. Gotch of Humboldt, Iowa. Gotch is a young man, 25 years old, and weighs about 200 pounds when in condition. He is said to have a good record in the West, but has never appeared in the East. The match was set for February 26th. It's so fun to go back and do this type of research when you find the icons, the titans, the legends of wrestling when they are just a hot unknown being matched against the star. So this is the, one of those early appearances of Frank Gotch, who was a little bit better known in the Midwest and out West and obviously the Alaska story. But these are stories that are so fun because a new audience is experiencing a new star and who amongst them knew what the future would hold. In February 26, a preview of the match was in the papers, said to be held at Gray's Armory in a mixed rules two out of three match. They referred to Gotch as the Klondike champion. Thursday, February 26, 1903 versus Frank Gotch in Cleveland, of course. It's always Cleveland with him. Jenkins wins in two straight falls, first in one hour, 55 minutes, and the second in 13 minutes. The Buffalo Courier described it as an exciting upset, with most thinking that the up-and-coming Gotch had it in the bag, and Jenkins was still regaining his form after his leg injury. Quote, Gotch adopted tactics that kept Jenkins at arm's length for more than an hour, and these so annoyed the crowd that Bedlam broke loose several times, and to such an extent that police reserves in the hall demanded order. The Lincoln Star Journal described it as, quote, Gotch was working on the defensive most of the time and mugging Jenkins so constantly that the 2,000 spectators howled and hissed at the dilatory tactics that ensued. Three different times, police reserves in the hall mingled with the crowd and compelled individuals to maintain order. The St. Paul headline was, quote, Defensive work of defeated man makes bout a farce. And the Buffalo Inquirer headline, Gotcha slippery customer and reported that Jenkins in a rage and in disgust also told him to stand up and wrestle like a man. So much to unpack. So Gotch, this is really his first big match anywhere near the eastern part of the United States. He's going up against the big name of Tom Jenkins, the former champion, but they did do a great job of booking this, assuming it was a work, most likely a work, because of the circumstances around it. You had Jenkins, who's the top guy, but he's maybe not quite himself. He may never be himself again because of this leg injury and the blood poisoning. And he, he's going up against Gotch, who is hot, he's hungry, he's ready to make a name for himself worldwide. And then they get in the ring, and Gotch 
is playing defensive. He's fouling Tom. He's throwing punches. And this is something that a lot of people kind of gloss over. Because you think of Gotch and the Hackenschmidt matches where it's like, oh, it's America versus the foreigner. And of course, jingoism and nationalism being what they are, everybody sticks to their own tribe and cheers on the American Rocky Four style, USA, USA, USA. But Gotch's career was marred by him being an absolute asshole. He was known for throwing punches. He was known for throwing elbows. He was known for being a dick. So he was being defensive. He was throwing short shots. The crowd was getting super mad. Jenkins was getting frustrated. And in the end, Jenkins wins. But if it is a work, and it was most likely a work, it's great storytelling because it skewed the betting towards Gotch. And it also made Tom Jenkins much more sympathetic to the national audience, which boosts him back up to being, once again, a hot draw and worthy of another title shot against McLeod. And it keeps Gotch kind of a hot heel draw because he's now somebody people want to see lose because he's being a defensive wrestler. He's refusing to engage. He's fouling Jenkins. People are booing him. The crowd's ready to riot. And... Again, heel champs work well because you want to see them lose. You want to see the guy who pisses you off, the guy you hate, the guy you feel gives the sport a bad look. You want to see him lose, and you know what? That money at the ticket box office spends just as well in the promoter's pocket. March 13th, 1903 at Madison Square Garden versus boxer Jack Monroe. The Montana miner turned boxer who beat Jeffries in a four-round fight. Monroe found fame when Jim Jeffries and Bob Fitzsimmons were doing exhibitions in Butte, Montana, offering $500 to anyone who could last four rounds with either man. While Jeffries made excuses later about being out of shape, not used to the altitude, and underestimating his opponent, Monroe, who was 20-ish pounds lighter than Jeffries, and worked him over for three rounds and then dropped him in the fourth. This was almost certainly a hype match with Jenkins to sell tickets to Monroe's boxing fight against Tom Sharkey. So we have a boxer doing a gimmicky wrestling match against the wrestling star just to draw attention to his boxing fight against Tom Sharkey, who is a very well-regarded and dangerous fighter. So we're just seeing showbiz goofiness, showbiz tricks to sell more tickets to a boxing match. And Tom Jenkins was clearly game for this little adventure. According to the Beatrice Nebraska Daily Express, it was a four falls and an hour handicap match. The Brooklyn Eagle reported that Jenkins only threw Monroe three times in an hour. Thus, Monroe was the winner by not losing enough. So again... Everybody walks away looking strong. A boxer with no wrestling experience goes up against the best wrestler in America, and he gets thrown only three times. So he outlasted the challenge. He beat the spread, which I'm sure was great for gambling, great for the box office, makes Tom Jenkins look like a badass because he threw him three times, but it makes Monroe tough as hell because in a sport he is not an expert in, he lasted with the number one contender, for the time limit. 
April 3rd, 1903. The Buffalo commercial was hyping everyone up for a rematch between Jenkins and Dan McLeod at the 65th Regiment Arsenal building. Quote, McLeod is the champion, but he is not the favorite in the betting. Buffalo has always been friendly to McLeod, but this time his supporters think he is barking up the wrong tree. Tough words in 1903 language. Jenkins and McLeod in town and in fine fettle for their struggle tonight. Announced that the men arrived in town and looked to be at the top of their game. Jenkins was listed as the betting favorite. The promoter had taken measures to ensure a timely entry to the building when doors opened at 7. So clearly things had been fucked up enough that they had to make that part of the advertising. Like, getting into the building will not be a frustrating shit show. Please give me your money. And how did it go? Tom Jenkins regains the championship was the sports page header in the Buffalo Review the next day. Quote, 4,000 spectators saw Tom Jenkins regain the championship of the catch-as-catch-can wrestling world at Broadway Arsenal last night. The match was one of the most exciting ever seen in the city. There was no outburst of applause for the rapid work of Jenkins or the clever defense of McLeod. The play was too fast to allow any demonstrations. Jenkins was the aggressor, and McLeod was fantastic on defense, and even had a good sense of humor. Quote, The first half went away, and there was not a moment when McLeod was in danger. As he broke a hammerlock, the referee called out, 30 minutes! How many? 13? asked McLeod from the mat, and the voice was strong and showed no trace of fatigue. Jenkins won in two straight falls, one hour, 17 minutes, and 18 minutes respectively, and was once again the American catch-as-catch-can champion. I also very much enjoyed the rider dunking on the prelims. Quote, There were the usual preliminaries. For what purpose? Only the management can tell. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love the uh, card padding with bad matches from nobodies and the sports paper calling them on that. But you have to provide a full night of entertainment, and if you have just the the main event with no preliminaries well you know what people are probably going to smell something on the betting side because they go hey man what if this is all over in five minutes so yeah you gotta pad the show and again this is a great way to keep everybody looking intact because everybody was probably thinking that jenkins he got past gotch but how will he do against McLeod? Has he recovered physically enough to take on the once and now current champion? Or has McLeod regained things and he's only barely hanging on because he won the title on a technicality? So there is a little bit of drama. It does make the betting odds a little more even. There's not like a strict underdog. It's very, very competitive. But when you are building the business around two guys, like they were at this point, McLeod and Jenkins were the only top guys in their prime. Gotch was still an up-and-comer. Hackenschmidt was overseas. So you had to keep your top guys strong so you can move tickets and make bets later on. And now we're going to skip over a little bit of a time gap. And it wasn't because he was inactive because it was a lot of meaningless and drama-free matches, just the usual handicap matches against people that don't matter, and we don't have all day, so I'm just going to hit the fast travel button on this, to October 28th, 
when Tom Jenkins defeated McLeod again in Pittsburgh. The Freelance Star reported it as happening in front of, quote, a moderate-sized but enthusiastic crowd. Two out of three falls, with Jenkins taking the first and the third falls, with McLeod taking the second. 18 minutes, 31 seconds, 5 minutes, 25 seconds, and 7 minutes, 55 seconds, respectively. It was not exactly well-received. The Buffalo Inquirer on 10-30-2003, the occasional meeting between wrestlers McLeod and Jenkins, which occurred in Pittsburgh last night, apparently resulted in a fiasco. The Smoky City was confidently counted upon to turn out a monster crowd. Therein rested disappointment number one, the blunder of the management in announcing as referee a champion fighter who had engagements in another portion of the continent supplied the second disappointment, and the evident indifference of the wrestlers themselves furnished the finishing touches. Jenkins and McLeod have already met too often from a gate receipt viewpoint, and the sporting public is becoming wary. There is still a question as to which is the better man, but nothing but a very considerable side bet and a long of faithful training will now satisfy the public that Jenkins and McLeod are really anxious to settle the question of supremacy and that they are not merely looking for a chance to cut up gate receipts. Ouch. They're a pair of very clever fakers, says a Pittsburgh critic. Yikes, what a review. What a series of reviews. What a bad bit of business. So they are falling into the trap of diminished returns. They are falling into, we have faced each other too many times in too short of a time, and people are not interested. And this can partially be blamed in the proliferation of national media. Because back in the day of Theobode Bauer and Professor Miller, well, they did the Hippodrome Express going coast to coast, doing the same matches again and again, ripping off different audiences, with nobody giving them the warning, except in the regional newspapers that weren't reaching the other cities. So, so that was the type of business that wrestling was built on once upon a time. But when you can read what happened in New York, all the way over in San Francisco, within 24 hours, you get a better picture of who's doing what, when, why, and where. So now trying to sell another Dan McLeod versus Tom Jenkins match so quickly shows that A, the business needs some fresh blood. They need to build up newer stars. They need to find ways to get other guys in there to make things interesting because again, diminished returns. You put the same guys in there time in, time out without any sort of buildup, any sort of drama, any sort of of showbiz goofiness to make it more interesting than just another match between the two guys, yeah, it's going to draw badly. The betting is going to draw little money, and the press and public is going to be bored, if not outwardly hostile, and just call it a bunch of bullshit, insult everyone, and then now both wrestlers' stock sinks more than a little. You're being called a faker. You're being called a phony. You're being called a boring wrestler. The promoter is being accused of putting together matches that we have seen before, we have seen often, and we are no longer interested in. Again, in the last episode, we referenced an article comparing 
Jenkins to Alexander the Great as having no more lands to conquer and thus weeping. And with Jenkins having no more lands to conquer, no more top opponents to beat, does that say great things about Jenkins or bad things about the world of wrestling at the time? That's the question, because everybody's been flattened now. They've either been flattened, they've been overdrawn, or they're regional and hard to draw big money against again and again without flattening and burning out that crowd. Where do you go from there? What do you do? How do you have a champion who has now killed the number one contender? What do you do when you have a champion of a sport that is a little bit behind boxing at the box office and you need to sell tickets? You need to get the bets going. You need to make money. You need to push the sport forward and find ways to keep it fresh, keep it hot, and make it worth everyone's time. Well, I guess that's what we'll talk about next time because we're running a little short on time. This is where we're going to put a pin in this until part four of our Tom Jenkins story. Yes, this is turning into a long one, but I hope you're finding it as interesting as I am to look at this little era of wrestling. I like filling in the gaps. I like exploring the business, the sport, the national reaction, the press reaction to wrestling at this time. Hopefully you're enjoying it as much as I am. But for now, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I post as many photos and headlines as I, as I can find. Hopefully you enjoy those. And if interested, we do have the my Venmo in the description of the show. We're just trying to make sure we have the research funds covered, keeping this on the internet. Sadly, not everything is free, but I would continue doing this for free no matter what. So thanks for being here. Hopefully you learned something. Hopefully you had some fun. And I'll talk to you in two weeks. Until then, take care.